Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Welcome to Therapists Uncensored. I'm Patty Allwell, and Sue Marriott and Kelly and I are all here to talk to you about life, sex, relationships, attachment, neuroscience, and just the really important things in your life. Today's episode, we're going to talk about being triggered. What does that mean? And what's the neuroscience behind it? What does it mean to be triggered, Sue? (laughs) Well, according to social media, it means having a feeling. Having Ah. a big, big feeling. (laughs) Having a big, big feeling. I was actually looking at the Urban Dictionary, and it's like it's rough out there, I have to tell you. Um, They're actually saying that you should do trigger warnings if you are going to show a video that has things that you might have a feeling about. Uh, There's hilarious YouTube videos of people uh, sort of making fun of, kind of mocking, like, you trigger me. And um, so it's, it's definitely become a pop culture term. Right. And, you know, I just want to be a little cautious because trigger in the more historical context of, of psychotherapy means that you're, something traumatic from your past is, is coming up. Exactly. That's actually why that I wanted to talk about it today is that it has been co-opted by popular culture, like many psychological terms often are. And we want to kind of bring it back to the origins um, and really bring it to, you know, what does the science say about it and what does it really mean? And then also, what is the practical application of this? Like, um, because being triggered, like the real meaning of it, um, where that you're actually flooded with a feeling that doesn't make sense in the present. So it's basically a trauma reaction where it's stored in a different part of the mind and a different part of the brain. And it all comes out based on a response now. So, you know, the very traditional example is a PTSD survivor. I mean, I'm sorry, a, a vet that is walking along. Here's the helicopter. He actually hits, or she. The, right, hits the dirt um, like, it's not just, oh, I'm frightened of helicopters flying above my head. It's not that experience. It really is like a, suddenly their life feels threatened and they have... They're right back in that war. It's, and it might not even be a memory that is happening. It's just a physiological experience. This is an automatic response. And in fact, oftentimes I, in, in my understanding... If it actually is paired to a, uh, a memory really consciously, it might not feel like a trigger. It, the trigger, your body physiologically responds so quickly that you don't even actually recognize it. Exactly. So it gives us a chance to talk a little bit more about neuroscience and uh, the mind as it is in relationships. And so, you know, several episodes ago, we talked about the hippocampus, and that's one of the three important structures in the mind. And this gives us a chance to go back to that because one of the things about the hippocampus is it is one of the structures that defines our autobiographical self. And there's two kinds of memory. There's one kind of memory where that we know we're remembering something. Like if I were to say, Patty, what would you have for lunch today? Yeah, I can tell you about that salad and how <laughs> wonderful it was and where I had it and what the waitress was like and- 
and even what it felt like to eat it. And exactly. So that's a that's that's an explicit memory. We're able to we know we're remembering, and there's a sense of yourself in the memory. And implicit memory is stored differently in the mind. And that is where that we, we basically don't know we're remembering that a very easy example of this is a procedural implicit memory is things like learning to drive. I don't know. There's not very many standard cars around anymore, but, um, you know, a standard versus an automatic car. When you first learn to drive it, what do you, you know, you're bunny hopping along right. and it's terrifying and you're embarrassed and it's very awkward. But once you learn how to drive it, you your body acts as if it's always known how to drive it. You don't remember that you're remembering the clutch, the accelerator, and the gears, Gear and that that's coordinated. It's not a conscious memory. It just is now embedded in your body. And it takes no thought. It's, it takes no thought. You don't. You really mm-hmm. don't know you're remembering. But your body's responding, and that's such an important element as we go on further discussions about why this is important. That's right. So that's like a healthy, normal, implicit memory. And we also have emotional implicit memories. And so let's just cut to the chase and talk about relationships, right? That like um, relationally we have implicit memories and explicit memories. And this begins to explain why when something small happens, all of a sudden your partner freaks out. And you think (laughs) it's something really minor like you're late getting home or you know, you left in the middle of the day and got a haircut and didn't mention it and um, came back. And so it pushed everything back. And so it's, it's actually nothing bad has happened. But the experience on the other side might feel catastrophic, like you have forgotten me. Um, what else is going on? Where else did you go? I can't trust you. I can't trust you. I'm not you. important to you. Um, so the way I think of that is, is it live or is it Memorex? right? Like, is what's happening now, does that justify what I'm feeling? And so often, and that's such an important topic, so I'm glad that we're really talking about it, because it's so often that we really don't know why we're having our feelings. And we, we think we do. We, but we think we do. We confabulate why we are. <laughs> but we, we can do. tell a good story about it. We, we do confabulate a lot. And so, but we don't think we are. We feel the charge on our body, the trigger, And then our immediate instinct is to search for something outside of our body to say, what caused that? And we forget that so much of what's going on inside is inside our body. It's created by the implicit. But because we're having a reaction and it's intent, intense, we look to our, our, the person that came home late or talked too loud to us, et cetera. And we think that is the cause for our body to be what we're calling trigger, to be charged up, to have a physiological response. Then we go to the outside world to calm the implicit memory that you're bringing. So what you're saying is, I'm triggered, and what did you do to make me Yeah, what the hell did you just do (laughs) to make me feel? Like what we talked about in communication, we think we're not supposed to have our body feel intense. And, you know, what did you just do? Because obviously you did something because my body just hit the ceiling. Right. Sue, I want to ask you a question because you talked about this in the context of PTSD, and that's like the most extreme example. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have some other examples? Because a lot of us are never going to have that kind of a trigger. Right. I I started with that just to kind of put it in the context of the history of, you know, what more of what we know about trauma and um, sort of splitting defenses. But um, more common would be domestic abuse, 
uh, sexual abuse, and then just just day-to-day relational traumas whereby um, you mentioned like loud voice. Yeah, let's get into that one. That way we could use an example. That would be an implicit memory. Maybe what happened is that you were um, raised by a single mother who frequently felt anxious and upset and in doing so would would yell or raise her voice and when your body heard that it scared you it's like your your the the idea of a loud intense voice sends your body to an alarm state and you're used to that and with your partner speaking louder or getting angry at you it may not be for for one person that would be a very um, minor raising of the voice, the other person could feel that in this implicit way that says danger, terror, 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 terror. Right. I call that, you know, that the channel is right. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there's anger present in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's irritation present. Yes. Channel is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the volume's too high. Instead of it just being irritation. Instead of it just being a four, it's felt at a seven or an eight mm-hmm. or a nine. And then often what can happen is because it's felt and and we're not aware that we're remembering something that actually did happen to us and we're attributing it to the person across from us now. Mm -hmm. So then what, what, so you're, you're talking to me at a four, I experience it as a seven because of my history. And so then I come at you at a seven. Quit yelling at me. I, so I come at you at a seven. Yeah. Either I run under the table or I push back, you know, I, I go chest bump you to defend myself um, and I feel justified and righteous about this because I don't want to be talked to that way, let's just say. And then now all of a sudden you're innocently feeling like, what Heart. just happened? What right. just happened? I just got a little irritated you and then right. I could respond in a and way then, that's then becomes eye-rolly and dismissive and like, oh my God, right. you're being, like, right. you so often, I, you're being right. ridiculous. Well, you're you overreacting. Guys, I, obviously you didn't grow up in a big Irish family because <laughs> a four <laughs> does not denote anger. Right. It's excitement or you're being yes. passionate. Yes, and exactly. often, you know, that can be translated by the person you're talking to as you're yelling at you're me. You're screaming, you're yelling. That's right. And, and so that's, ex- but like an Irish family to an Irish family, a four to a four is perceived as a four to a four. Like, oh, you care, you're interested, you're invested. Let's do this thing. It's like, it's almost like it can heighten excitement. Right. But, uh, but based on what, what is stored in our bodies, and this Which is something we're not we've been necessarily about. consciously aware of. And it's not necessarily, Patty, to your point, it's not big T trauma. It's not necessarily that we've been shot at or, you know, been in a war. bombed, bombed yeah. or even, even, you know, the big abuse factors. Right. It doesn't right. necessarily even have to be that. No, we all have implicit memories and we respond to those implicit memories in these predictable ways that make us feel comfortable. Well, and I think one thing that's important to remember is the implicit memory comes on first. So if you have something happen to you before, while you're, uh, uh, baby, um, you don't have an explicit memory of it. All you've got is an implicit memory. That's exactly right. And so a really just sweet example of that is when you, you know, the toy, the Jack in the Box. Oh my God, all that anticipation is making me anxious. (laughs) See, that's exactly. So when a child has never seen it, they're just like looking, looking, ah, right. But the next time they see the toy, they won't necessarily remember what happens but they just know they don't like the toy 
Which, by the way, should we just get rid of that stupid toy? <laughs> like, that's a terrible toy. <laughs> it's <But> frightening. <laughs> it's a frightening toy. But but that's an just a really benign example of how you kind of, you don't necessarily remember the details. You just now have a negative association. Well, and that's a great example because as we imagine it, we can feel our body get elevated. Yeah, even when I did the little sound. The, the anticipation of that. And that's so implicit in us. And our body is so automatic. It's so inherently reactive. In our body, we can't really help it. So when our partners upset at us for having that reaction, that's really, really painful. And if we're unaware of our reaction and we think, oh, if I feel this intense, you're obviously doing something really bad. Then all of a sudden your partner becomes more threatening or the person around you becomes more threatening. That's that's exactly right. And so some of the point of this is if we can begin to really suss out what's live and what's Memorex. Ah, right. What's so, on the old tapes we're What's running? the old tape? And I don't know, we're dating ourselves at this point, but the commercial was, you know, is it a tape that could break the glass of the singing and, or was it live? And so in this case, what we're talking about is I'm feeling something really big and powerful right now based on something, Patty, that you just did, let's just say. And is it live? Did should Did I, I be really should I be this upset? Should I be at eight upset at the live event you just did, or did you just do something mildly annoying that I'm charged up about because that I have some history? You know, like should I be a little suspicious of my emotional reaction? That's the sussing out of like, does this like me beginning to turn on my prefrontal cortex rather than just my amygdala and I'm me beginning to reflect, does this reaction make sense to the live situation? What's live happening? Am I actually as unsafe as I feel? And Sue, I think that gets to the value of understanding this because you, you get to really handle a relationship with care then. It's not you know, you're not having the big reaction every time your partner does anything. Um, you're really having a real relationship with the real person in front of you and not with your mother or your no, grandfather. That's, that's exactly right because that, cause what can happen is if I'm not sussing out, is it live or is it Memorex, I really think you're injuring me. It really feels live. And I feel misjudged. And- oh, that, that's, a, that's a really good point because if, if you are seeing it as that and you're responding that you've been traumatized, Yes. the instinct, and we're talking animal to animal instinct, if the instinct is for the other person to have to defend self mm-hmm. because now you're coming at me saying I've injured you and now I feel completely misunderstood and I'm forgetting. So now I'm having my own reaction of feeling misunderstood and feeling defensive and all those things that then create m- more lack of safety for you. And you can hear how that dynamic with two people right. can Begins create it, rolling. Yeah, it just begets right. the conflict that in, and people will it, say, how do we get out of this? Because it's so body to body. Right. Because then all of a sudden now I'm not safe for you and mm-hmm. you're not safe. I'm, I'm perceiving that you're not safe for me. And even just that notion, which is what you were talking about earlier, Anne, of that I, if I can even begin to turn on the idea that it's a perception Mm-hmm. instead of truth and reality and real, mm-hmm. that it's a feeling, not a fact, then mm-hmm. I'm already beginning to make headway. If I can begin to be curious about, huh, what number is this? Wow, this is a seven. 
I wonder if she would think it was a seven. She probably would not think it was a seven. She'd probably think it was a four. You know what I mean? Like if I can just begin to sort of work it out, it won't cool off. Like I'll still have the big reaction. It won't necessarily stop that because that's very real. It's actually happening. Mm -hmm. But my attribution of what's making it happen begins to cool off. Well, and the other thing it does is it gives you this tiny amount of distance from that big emotional reaction. Yes. So that you are no longer, you know, furious. You are observing curious. your mm-hmm. furious That's reaction. Exactly. Dan Siegel talks about name it to tame it. Right. Um, so just the act of I am freaking out, <laughs> uh, like naming it, or I'm scared, or I'm terrified or I'm angry, naming it turns on again the prefrontal cortex and it won't stop it. But now we have what I I think of it as like, you know, if you think of a boat and the crow's nest that goes up top and you can have like binoculars and 360 degree angle of looking around, um, it turns on our crow's nest where that we can begin to have meta observations of like, oh, wow, I'm really charged up about this. Again, it doesn't stop the charge. But we begin to have the, it's almost like I think of it from a psychodynamic standpoint, I think of it as a third. I begin to like see myself doing, interacting with the two of us, you know, and now we have a triangle and that alone is one of the things we're really going for is like, I'm just, I, I want to challenge each of you as you're, li- as you're listening, that if you begin to sort of, um, I want to this is one of the things that I really value is I sometimes am listening to something and I feel confronted like what you mean I'm not right (laughs) (laughs) it's like I value that it's like I want to not be right sometimes because if I'm right the world isn't all that safe but if I'm wrong and maybe I'm just the one that's charged up it's actually a safer place and you know maybe people are safer in my life well I I love what you're saying too and the to echo and add to, I think, what y'all are both saying is even the slight awareness that the intensity in your body has something to do with what's going on inside you, just that slight awareness really can calm the body down. Mm-hmm. It, but what it also very importantly does is it allows the person that you are feeling reacted to to feel more present with you yes because now if i'm able to go i am so angry and i go i do not know why i'm feeling this intense because you're late i have no idea but i'm really pissed and i got to figure out why this is making me so mad then all of a sudden because you're doing some awareness of yourself your partner inherently is going to feel safer with you then if the instinct is so much that i'm so pissed so you need to hear why i'm so mad because you need to stop it right now we're already in attack defend mode so just that slight awareness can make a significant shift vulnerability turns on nurturance absolutely so if we can move towards vulnerability the v word right right. (laughs) the v word works folks let's just i'm telling you just try it if we can move towards vulnerability you, that is, I totally agree with you that then all of a sudden we're back into Patty. You've talked in another episode about Vegas to Vegas and eye to eye. All of a sudden we're back into a social relational mode instead of I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and take care of myself. And, you know, that the and world I'm all is alone in this. Right. So and- when we're dysregulated 
the our ability for social interaction goes offline. Right. And so some of the things you're talking about doing is bringing that uh, ability to interact with another human being in a safe way. Right. Back on. They're an ally. Yes. And this Mm -hmm. is this is biology. This is not. You know, this is not moral. Yes, this is not my partner is an asshole. This right. is about my partner has lost the ability to relate to me socially. And until we both together can figure out how to help my partner uh, emotionally regulate a little more, that social engagement can't come back online. I'm super glad you said that because I'm, I've been coming at it from the perspective of when we get triggered. But there's also then the, the corresponding idea of when, we see, when someone close to us, again, child, parent, coworker, boss, uh, partner, gets triggered and we can see they're triggered, that we can see that they're triggered and that they're not making sense and they're not in reason, you know, what is it that we need to do to help bring them back online? Because certainly if we start defending ourselves as if we actually, you know, need to defend ourselves, then we're going to just be adding kerosene. Uh, versus if we can, uh, this adds one more point, use the mirror neuron system that when, if you notice when, if somebody's anxious and if you're not paying attention and they're buzzing at this level of anxiety, what happens, right? You buzz with. You begin to wind up and get anxious with them versus if we can be more mindful and we can, again, have this observing ego or this crow's nest or this third you know, a self looking at ourselves, we can go, wow, they're really anxious. Let me take a big, deep breath and everything's okay. There's no threat. But almost then, to get there, what you're saying is you to recognize your body's going Yeah, up. it's going to yeah. go up. But guess what happens? If you're actually able to keep your breath steady, then somebody, it, we still get in regulation but it's going to bring them into regular. And so it's still neural Wi-Fi. What, what mirror neurons are, it's neural Wi-Fi. And so it's still going to be neural Wi-Fi, but instead of us going up to them, we're going to force them to come down to us, and we're going to cool them off. Right, and I want to make, make it clear that we aren't always going to have the ability to do this. Sometimes we're going to get we're the ones freaking out, yeah. and we're going to say the wrong thing or, or be angry and... You know, it's lovely when our partner can, or our, or our employee, or our friend, or our mother can help us regulate. But you know, they may be reacting too. Well, and I think I think it's a good point, and, and we're going to have to wrap this session up pretty quick. But it really um, lends to further podcast, and we have some coming down the pike to move what we're speaking about. And I know we're speaking in a lot of language about the neurobiology and the theory of what happens. And we're going to continue to talk about ways of recognizing the difference between live MMRX and implicit and explicit, all these great points that Sue's bringing in today about how to put it into action in, a, in, in workable, really understandable steps. Right. But before we stop, like I don't want to promise that we're going to do that. Let's do that real quickly. Okay. Which is... Um, what are the things you want us to that's remember? Right. Well, that like as a listener out there... The next time that you get charged up, the idea would be to pause and reflect and maybe to, breathe and to breathe and to just doubt yourself a little bit. I know that sounds funny, but if we're wondering, 
if what we're feeling is right, we're actually in a healthier neurobiology state, neurobiological state, like mm, it could be this or it could be this, means that we're actually in a more steady, secure place than if we're certain that this is going on, damn it. That's actually a little bit more of a triggered place. So move into doubt and work towards, and then if your person is triggered, that your job is, you're the one that's on the high road, so you help bring them into safety. And this is about safety and see what you can do to cool their amygdalas off. And we know what that means from other podcasts. Um, that you're going to use tone of voice, your face, your gaze to uh, lower the heat. To lower the heat and see, just experiment with it. Let us know what you think. See how this works for you. I want to add one? Yeah. Want to add one thing? Add as many as you want. Um, I think one of the things that I like to talk to couples about in this very vein is to. Uh, yeah, I love making the t-shirt that is you can either be right or be in a relationship and I mean any relationship and so I think if you know that your partner likely has some validity and so do you to that reaction right because oh, no, <laughs> if you really trust that there's some validity that doesn't mean you've actually done anything wrong and it doesn't mean that they're right it means there's a reason they're reacting and there's, there's a reason you're reacting. If you sort of can allow trust in that department to kind of go, okay, why am I feeling so intense? Or why is my partner feeling so intense? And you go to a, a discovery phase first instead of trying to figure out where it, whether it's valid. I think sometimes we get stuck in, is it right that I feel this way? And we don't have to be right. We just have to say, I feel this way and let me figure out why. You know, or you've done this, let me figure out why. That yeah. in and of itself allows room for both people to have some intensity of feelings rather than right or wrong. Yeah, my version of that is find the 1% that they're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like even if it's just 1%, like go with it. And the reason I say 1% only is because usually when we're all charged up, that's about all we can find. Um, but there's something and that that's going to be a better move than just being right or just sticking in your own point. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Check us out at therapistuncensored.com. Sign up for our email list so you don't miss things because we're going to be handing out all kinds of cool things and offering um, more advanced courses and uh, options for you to be able to dig into this material if you're interested in it um, to go a little deeper. Subscribe on iTunes so you won't miss any of our podcasts. And share freely. Um Folks that don't want to go to therapy, but you might, that might could use a few tips and pointers about relationships. And especially if you're in West Virginia or Alaska, <laughs> South, South Dakota, South Carolina. We've got seven states that we still have to hit to get all 50. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Cameron Lindsay edits the show.